Is there a difference between loving God and loving your religion? We'll talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? During a recent conversation that I had with one of my cousins, she suggested that we do a show about the failure of polygamists to express love to their children or spouses. She suggested this because Mm -hmm. she was surprised when a lady she knows from the FLDS polygamy group had a highly emotional reaction when a neighbor told her she was loved. Now, they had moved out of the FLDS community into her community, and she had struck up a friendship with her. She never thought to to hear that she was loved. That's right. Now, this wasn't a romantic situation at all, but, but it was a friendly expression of neighborly love. And when my cousin later asked her her about her reaction, she said that she had never before in her life been told that she was loved. Not from her parents and not from her other mothers or siblings or father or grandparents or anyone else told her, I love you, until this friendly neighbor had said it to her. Now, my cousin said that her own parents had always affirmed their love to their children, making it difficult for her to understand parents who don't express love to their children. So she asked another cousin, one who had been raised in the Kingston polygamy group, and she also had been in a polygamous marriage, and she also said that she was not told that she was loved by parents or even by her husband when she was married. Well, at that point in our conversation, I confessed to her that I had never been told that I was loved when I was growing up oh my in my in my polygamous family. So uh, more importantly, however, we were never taught that God loves us, that Jesus loves us to the extent that he suffered tremendously dying on the cross for us. Now, we talked about God's love before several times on this show, but we're going to take a different angle this time uh, as we talk about it and try to answer the questions, why do so many polygamists fail to express love to their children or spouses, and why don't they teach about God's unconditional love? Not surprisingly, many early Mormon polygamists were also strangers to expressed love. We have a quote. Yeah, this is from Zena Huntington, a plural wife of Prophet Brigham Young in the New York world back in 1869. It is the duty of the first wife to regard her husband not with a selfish devotion. She must regard her husband with indifference and with no other feeling than that of reverence. For we love we for for love we regard as a false sentiment a feeling which should have no existence in polygamy. So that might answer part of the question (laughs) why polygamists don't express love. When love is demonstrated and received, it flows through the receiver and into some, and to and towards someone else. So could it be that there's a lack of expressed love in polygamy groups because if it's not received, it's, it's not as easily given. Now we want to work through this a bit, starting with one of Mormonism's foundation doctrines that the Bible is not trustworthy. In the famous article of faith number eight, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. Now, in reality, what isn't trustworthy is what they're teaching about the Bible. Uh, God is true, and He promised that His Word would endure throughout all generations, and the Bible that they don't trust teaches us that God's love is is unconditional, where they teach that God's love is conditional. Uh, 
One of the worst lies that, about God that I was taught is that he will wreak vengeance on those who don't follow in the footsteps of their polygamist heritage. Someone once asked the question, would you agree that your parents do not know everything about everything? <laughs> well, obviously, the answer is yeah. yes. Of course they don't. Is it, is it possible that your parents were wrong on some things? Well, of course it's possible that they were. So, is it possible they were wrong about religion? Well, of course it's possible. possible. And then they would say, of course, but they weren't. They were right. <laughs> Honoring God is the first commandment. And if we discover our parents' religion is not honoring to God, then our first uh, choice is clear, and that is to honor God's what God says rather than what our parents right. say. So God never expects us to follow blind, uh, follow to blindly follow our religious the religious beliefs of our parents, could or make, or religious mistakes. leaders for yeah. that matter. Yeah. So most people who leave a polygamy group will say that they n did not experience the protection, the defense, and the love that a child needs from their parents. And rightfully, they should expect those things from their parents, too. And that could explain why there's so much abuse and, and, and exploitation and crime in polygamy groups. They don't know God's love, mm. so they can't express God's love. Mormonism teaches that love must be earned and can easily be lost, and it's also based on performance. Years ago, I was listening to someone talk about God's love, and he said that our earthly father's love and care should represent our heavenly father's love and yeah. care. If our earthly father is abusive or angry, a disciplinarian or mean-spirited, we're prone to see God the same way. That resonated with my own experience. Not only was I never taught that God loves me, but my father was an angry disciplinarian. So the conclusion in my mind was that the male species were incapable of loving, and therefore God was incapable of loving. Mm -hmm. We have a lovely quote from, about God's love that we want to share, especially for those from polygamy or Mormonism who believe God's love for you is based on your performance. You know, you'll see the website on the bottom. Over the centuries, there have been many misconceptions about God and His true nature. He has been misrepresented to us by legalistic religious leaders and angry earthly fathers who have, by their lifestyles, distorted His true image. God is not distant and angry as many of the Renaissance paintings portrayed Him. The truth is that He is loving, kind, gentle. In fact, you could say that He's the nicest person in the, Bi in the universe. That's so true. The Bible says that God is love and He is a real Father. When you combine those two attributes, you will realize that God is a loving Father and the longing of His heart has always been that you would know that He really loves you. And that is That's so nice. true based so on nice. my own experience, how important that was. In fact, those three words, God loves you, is what started me on my journey. And I wish I had known all these things about God when I was growing up. And those who teach wrong things about God do not even know God, because to know Him is to love Him. God chooses to love us because 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. That's who he is. There's also John 3.16, which is probably the most well-known Bible verse of the ages. Yeah, this is amazing for, for the word everlasting life, too, for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that beautiful? It is. It is a lovely verse. God, God's love is not only proclaimed, love that he proclaims, but love demonstrated. But polygamy groups don't teach or demonstrate that kind of love to their members. They teach abusive discipline, shaming, forced obedience, which they say is the only way to earn God's love. That's not true. God tells fathers, take it easy with your kids, tone it down, be kind and patient with your children, and teach them the truths and the love of God. We have a couple of quotes. Yeah, one from Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In Colossians 3.21, fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And yet most of the people I knew growing up in polygamy groups were embittered. Embittered because of the discipline that their parents meted out to them. Mm. It, and now, as we go on, it's important for people to understand and know that there's a difference in the biblical definition of the word love in the verses that we read sure. uh, when we compare it with God's love or love for something else. Now, the New Testament original language is Greek, and it has de very definite words for each kind of human love. The English language is not that expressive. For instance, we use the same word to love for covers a bunch of <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah, we love our pet. We love hot dogs. We love our neighbor. We love we love going to movies. You yeah. know, and then we use the same word that we love. Uh, we love our family and we love God. So it's all the same word, love. In the biblical Greek, they have different words for love depending on who or what is loved. When the Bible says that God is loved. The, uh, the, and so loved the world, God, so he uses the word, uh, the Greek word agape, and the definition of agape is this. To esteem, love, indicating a direction of the will, and finding one's joy in something or someone. It differs from filio, which includes feelings, warm affection, the kind of love expressed by a kiss. So this is not a feeling love. Right. It's yeah. a direction of the will. I will love. And yeah. so they do. Yeah. And then it's demonstrated. Uh, someone once explained God's love that the one who loves, which is God, wants the very best for the one loved, that's us, <laughs> that he will provide what that person needs most, even when that person doesn't know they need it or know they want it. And what we all need most is cleansing of sin, forgiveness, and eternal life. Although most people don't know that's what they need the most, and many don't even want it. <laughs> but God's love is a choice and is not based on feelings. Agape is much different than the Greek word phileo, the word that uses feeling and involves feelings. That word expresses love for each other, which often involves deep emotions. It's difficult for those in Mormonism to understand that feelings have absolutely nothing to do with God's love for us or for how we discern truth. Yeah. Feelings are not part of that. God loves us because He is love, not because He has some fuzzy feelings towards us. That's why His love is unconditional. If our performance or faithfulness could earn His love, He would love very few of us and <laughs> not very often. Now, the religion of Mormonism uses shunning and guilt to shame those who choose to leave their religion, which proves they are disobeying Jesus. We can say that because this is what Jesus taught. Yeah, a couple of verses here. John six thirty seven, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And from Luke six twenty seven and 28, But I tell you who hear me, 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So once you come to Jesus, he'll, he promises, I'll never cast you out. No, no matter what happens, my love's going to cover it. Yeah. He, and that's a promise from God. I was really touched with that first time I ever read that verse. And then, of course, when, uh, when uh, LDS and Mormon and polygamy families uh, shun people who leave because, yeah. and, and disregard their religion as a lifestyle anymore, they treat them as other enemies. Yeah. And, and Jesus says, love your enemies. He did, and pray for them. He didn't say shun and shame them. So there is a huge difference here in the way that love is expressed in Mormonism or not expressed. Yeah. Jesus won't throw you out. He won't shun you. Family members who reject Mormonism are reviewed, are, 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 are viewed as enemies by those who are left behind. But we aren't the enemy. Besides that, Jesus said, to, to pray for them. So God, God's love actually establishes God's grace. Hmm. That's true. Religions like Mormonism that are based on works and keeping commandments cannot understand or teach the concept of grace. They'll use the word grace, but it's not the biblical concept of grace at all. In fact, Mormonism teaches a contradiction of biblical grace. Yeah, I didn't realize this one, but the third article of faith says, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved, may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And so the atonement of Christ really has nothing to do with it. No. They could take that out of this sentence and say that they're saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Yeah. Atonement has nothing to do with it. That's right. Obedience and laws and ordinances to earn atonement is not biblical grace, nor does it express unconditional love. Now, the love of a human father that, that a human father has for his children should express unconditional love despite every failure they encounter. God loves us like that. Yeah, and it's expressed here in 1 John 4, 18 and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I love those verses. They, know, they just, beautiful. they are so touching to me based yeah. on, I guess, because I didn't, didn't get love when I was growing up. And, and we feared a lot. I feared, I, I, I feared my father. I feared my mother. I, there was a lot of fear in it. In fact, one of the things that, that I thought when I ran away was I won't have to be afraid anymore. Oh my. And, and, but as it turned out, I just ex I just exchanged fears for a, for several for years a until I became a Christian. But is that's it, part of it. Is it possible that this lack of love is what allows them to be abusive and, and well, I think to, that it to be to to not share and not you know to have children and wives that are dependent on on themselves they don't have a support of a, a father well love isn't it's all a duty it's all right. a responsibility it's it's the not the fact that they love. can kind of separate themselves from love allows them to treat other people poorly i think, I think so almost if you loved somebody you wouldn't allow them to to, to that's go right. The it, abuse and other things that they go through. That's right. Yeah. That's it is, and it's a hard thing to explain. Of course, right. I can't speak for everyone sure. at all. I, I can only just you know my but own you've experience. Seen enough and, and heard enough seen. of people that mm -hmm. have been through this and didn't feel that love, but, but they certainly they, felt the abuse. And, and if they don't feel it, how can they give it? 
if, well, yeah. if they don't receive love, they how do how can how to, when they grow up and they do the same things to their kids? Exactly. Uh, and and a child, uh, you know, this love, there's no fear in love. A child should never be afraid of his parents right. for any reason, yeah. you know. Not that, not fright, you know. We should fear disappointing them into the, but it should be a healthy fear, not yeah. a frightful fear. And and when a child fails, no matter how horribly he fails, he should be able to trust that his parents will still love him and guide him safely through the difficulty. That's what God does with us. Yeah. And God gave us this next verse for when we are faced with guilt trips, either from ourselves or from others. 1 John 3.20, If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. <laughs> and he's greater than this condemning heart. That, yeah. and, and of course, Mormonism is filled with guilt trips. Uh, it's just a part of life with yeah. Mormonism. And, and then we develop overactive consciences. And so sure. it causes heavy guilt trips. And when we can know and trust God's unconditional love, we can set aside the guilt because God is greater than a guilt-ridden heart. And Jesus took our guilt on the cross. And God didn't just say He loves us. He demonstrated His love on the cross. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, still are, Christ died for us. While we were in a great need of a Savior, before we even know we needed a Savior, That's right. Jesus worked out salvation for us, and it's a gift. He died for us, offered forgiveness before we were able to do anything to earn it. In fact, it's unearnable. Agape love is not based on feeling. It is a demonstration. It is an action. And everyone who receives God's gift can be confident of this next promise. Yeah, from Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That's a promise from God. There promise. is no condemnation. So when, when judgment day comes, we know we'll pass. There won't be any condemnation. The love that we did not receive from our fathers most likely created a huge empty spot in our emotional health. But I and many others have received abundant love from God who is the Father in heaven. He gives the grace to heal and the understanding in order to forgive our unloving earthly fathers. We want to quote again from another article about God's love compared to our earthly father's love. It's kind of long, but it's beautiful. It's really good. It's from the www.faithgateway.com, and it starts out like this. If fathers are distant, distracted, disconnected, or even abusive, children will believe all fathers are this way, even a heavenly father who claims to love them unconditionally. But this is clearly not God's plan. His desire is for all fathers to reflect aspects of His character, an earthly mirror of a heavenly reality, Matthew 7, 9 through 11, illustrates this quite clearly. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to a group that must have included many fathers. Note what he says. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? From God's perspective, all fathers, even ones who are not Christians, are created to imitate His goodness. In fact, if this were not the case, the entire analogy Jesus used loses its meaning. 
Good fathers are an example of common grace, like the life-giving rain which falls on the righteous and the wicked alike, as quoted in Matthew 5.45. What Jesus is saying in this passage is that fathers should make sure their children have both physical and spiritual life. Godly fathers are to provide a pathway and a connection to God's saving grace because when they give their children good gifts, it makes it much easier for children to connect with a heavenly father who gave the best gift of all, his son, who died on a cross for their sins. So when their children hear, dear heavenly father, it's winsome rather than worrisome. Isn't that wonderful? Beautiful. So yeah. it is. So, And I wish I had known these things <laughs> when I was growing up in the polygamy group. And I wonder, as we work with folks from polygamy, like the woman who broke into tears when she heard the words of love through a neighbor, why is it that so many parents in polygamy groups do not express or demonstrate unconditional love to their children? Now, we realize that not every polygamous parent or family are in this category, sure. but most of them are. Why does this happen so frequently in polygamy groups? Well, what, one reason is that love received produces love that flows out, and we've talked about that, and yeah. polygamy is generally a loveless existence. One polygamist wife said this. <laughs> Emmeline B. Wells said this, Oh, if my husband could only love me even a little and not seem to be perfectly indifferent to any sensation of that kind, Oh, my poor aching heart, when, it sh when shall it rest its burden only on the Lord? Sad. <laughs> and another plural wife cries out to be loved like yeah, this. This was Anne Eliza Young. It is the very refinement of cruelty, this polygamy, and it hurts are deeper and more poisonous than any other wounds can be. They never heal, but grow constantly more painful until it makes life unendurable. We don't see any love in the lives in the way they are no. expressing their lives here. And another reason that I believe uh, that love uh. is rarely expressed in polygamy groups or is because of Mormon teachings <laughs> like this. Oh, these are great. Some years ago, the First Presidency said to the youth of the church that a person would be better dead, clean, than alive, unclean. And one father told his son as he was leaving on a mission, My son, we would rather come to this station and take your body off the train in a casket than to have you come home unclean, having lost your virtue. Where's your love for your children here? And we have and another one. the last one from President Grant. There is no true Latter-day Saint who would not rather bury a son or daughter than to have him or her lose his or her chastity, realizing that chastity is of more value than anything else in all the world. So how can your child's chastity be of more value than the child itself? I know. I can't get into their heads. <laughs> I can't understand that. I was taught that, though. Oh, yeah. I was taught oh, that growing up. Jesus himself said the prostitutes were entering heaven before the religious leaders were, and we're going to prove he said that because we have the quote. <laughs> Matthew twenty-one thirty-one. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. So what's so important about chastity? All sins are forgiven, including anything that they claim makes you yeah. unclean. Yeah. Yet the Mormon mindset places chastity as more important than life itself. That's not love. <laughs> and oddly, polygamists practice promiscuity in their very lifestyle yeah. of polygamy, which they claim will get you to heaven. Yeah, this is from Gordon B. Hinckley. 
I know what my mother expects. I know what she's saying in her prayers. She'd rather have me come home dead than unclean. And that's sad. <laughs> and my mother said, if a man took a knife to my throat to rape me, I'd let him, I would let him would kill, kill me, me before I let him have his way. So again, they was taught the same thing. Yeah. So that's not love. That's not love. Uh, and, and these don't express unconditional love at all. What they should say is, if that happened, we would love you still. Yeah. God forgives even the worst fornicator who truly turns his or his, her life over to Jesus. Now, I've also discovered that in many cases, the parents love their church, their religion, and yeah. their religious ideas more than they love their children. They want their children to stay in their religion, of course. And the only way they can make that happen is through brainwashing, and then by force, cruelty, shame, guilt, threats, and very often physical abuse. Yeah. So why is loving their religion and obeying their human leaders, following their religious decrees, more important than demonstrating unconditional love to their children? Loving their church is more important than loving and obeying God. It is certain that religion and God are not synonymous in Mormonism. <laughs> and no parent can ever guilt trip, shame, or whip righteousness into their children. For those whose fathers were not loving or kind, please don't blame God for that. It's not His fault. We all fall short, and we all fail many times in many ways. We all need grace. We all need to forgive and to be forgiven. Ultimately, that comes from God. But just because our earthly fathers failed never indicates our heavenly Father will fail us, because He will not. Jesus referred to the Father in heaven with the Greek word Abba, which means Papa or Daddy, a very deeply mm -hmm. personal yeah. word for a Father. And that's who our Father in heaven is for all who will turn to Him in faith and trust, believing that it was Jesus who demonstrated God's love and died on the cross for our sins, and there's nothing we can do to add to it. Earthly Father's love should always be the model for the love of our Father who is in heaven. And you said it was that little concept of God loves me. Who, did, who said that to you? It was what? in a book I was reading. Was it? Uh, and it was called Mama, Mormonism, Mama and Me by Thelma Gear. And she wrote in that book, God loves you. And she was writing about her experience and, and all that. And it and just it, struck you. It, it, I started to cry. I just, I couldn't, I had never heard God loves me before in my life. I was 43 years old, <laughs> and I'd never heard God love me. Amazing. And that started the journey that brought me to, to saving faith. And what freedom and love and liberty comes with that mm -hmm. knowledge that you're in Christ. And yeah, it's God amazing. And that His love is unconditional. No yeah. matter what I do, what I can't lose that love. Yeah. Thank you, Earl. Yeah, Appreciate you bet. That's wonderful. When we fail, even when we fail miserably, God still loves us as much as He did before we failed. His love is consistent and persistent. His love is always perfect. It's never, ever conditional. God's grace is always available to every one of us who have not known the love of an earthly father. And for fathers who may realize too late that they weren't there for their wives and children when they needed Him, 
God's grace is there for you too. It's never too late to begin again. It's never too late to ask God for His grace to cover all that we never measured up to being. God waits for us to call upon Him in faith. For the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the name of the Lord is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer. He is God Almighty. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.